Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Oh, welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, and it, you you would think it would be a wicked day because Joe Goldberg is in the house. I'm wicked. I'm a stage play. I'm a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dangerous. And it's a, me and Adina Mazel we look so much alike. <laughs> That's a wicked joke. Those are in the Broadway world, like me. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, of course. And, you know. Well, I just saw you in that movie last night. Which one? I, I think it's called Retribution. I can't remember now. It's the new Liam Neeson one. No, oh. uh, no, I'm in the yeah. uh, I'm in the You series because I'm a serial killer. The Carol Kipnis. I get that all the time. Like, yeah. Joel Goldberg. You know? Did you know that Joel Goldberg's name of the person who kills? Yes, I do. Thank you very much. I'm using your name in my new book, so just so you know. go ahead. I'm, I'm a serial. If you, yeah. if you type my name in no, the, the internet, up comes they're the people Goldberg that get killed. killed. Yeah. No, no, they all get killed. <laughs> Good well, it's just another day in my house. Yeah, yeah, just another. You know. Well, let's get on to yep. it. Now we've got a uh, just the perfect guest doing the perfect shot. <laughs> yes. Uh, his his new book, I believe, his first book is called Perfect Shot. It's a thriller, and we've got Special Agent Alexandra. Martell in his book one. So, uh, Mr. Steve, you're, you're insane. <laughs> you're sane. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alan and, and Joe. It's great to be here on the uh, world's number one podcast. Uh, uh, shucks, Al. The world's got low standards. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. The McDonald's is the number one burger. <laughs> What's that mean for the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not choosing the best at the moment. But, but thank you. Take the, take the honor. Take the honors. Yes. You've, yes. you've worked hard oh. to get there, so take it. Yeah, I've worked hard. Now I better retire. Um, listen, so how did you decide to write a book? Like, why? <laughs> why? That's, that's, <laughs> why? I suppose that's a really good question. When you when you look back and hindsight's twenty twenty, you you probably, as a writer and author, you probably do ask yourself why a lot of times. So... But the answer is, I guess, straightforward. I've been interested in writing for my whole life, and I know a lot of people say that, but I was writing short stories and pretend novels ever since I was 8 or 10 years old. And then as I got older, I kind of laid that to the side and um, got older still and ended up raising a family. And I actually took a shot at it when I was much younger and things got busy. It wasn't going anywhere. I laid it down, and then... About 10 or 15 years ago, I bumped into some showrunners on a TV show who I was talking to about their program, 
And I mentioned that I was interested in writing and told them about the roadblocks I had hit along the way. And their advice to me at the time was, if you want to write, just write. So being a simple kind of guy, I took that to heart and began writing. And then uh, stumbled onto this character, Alex Martell, in one form or another for the last eight to ten years and kept developing that character until she finally materialized into a full-length novel. And I guess the rest, as they say, is history. So I guess I've always wanted to write and just life got in the way and work and career and mortgages and all that stuff. So found a time recently or made the time actually recently and here we are. Yeah, but I always say um, there there must have been something that uh, initiated you sending out the book, like getting it and deciding. Because a lot of people want to write, and a lot of people have the interest in it in all their life, and you can even sometimes sit down and write things. But what gave you that confidence to go, I can do this, and actually write it, and then send it off to an agent or a publisher or any of that? Yeah, the confidence is a funny thing, because I don't know if it's confidence or chutzpah or gall or whatever it is, but, you know, when I started writing the first book in the Alex Martell series, which really never went anywhere, um, it sort of became my writing thesis, as it were, I spent about four years writing the first, you know, 45,000 words, so half a novel-length story with that, um, just on the weekends, and... Uh, into the fourth year, which is round about 2018, 2018, or 2017, I guess, late in 2017, I stumbled onto the idea of Thriller Fest. I'd heard about Thriller Fest online, you know, found it on a website or whatever. And then I, I saw that if you wanted to get an agent to go to Pitch Fest, you could do that, but you needed a full-length finished manuscript. So that became the impetus for me to finish what I was writing and I suppose that's where I kind of had the temerity to think that it was pretty good. Um, and then foolishly, some people I met at uh, at BoucherCon at uh, at Thriller Fest also backed that silly notion up and thought it was pretty decent and encouraged me to keep writing and keep trying to get an agent. And that's really all it came down to was wanting to do it and not listening to voices in my head or elsewhere that might have said that I couldn't do it. And not knowing any differently, I went ahead and did it. But it's, you know, my career has been full of things, obstacles that have said, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, the odds are against you. And it's just something I've always chosen to ignore, again, whether that's gall or chutzpah or temerity or whatever you call it. So I, I went, got an agent, and the rest is, uh, again, bringing us to where we are today, very luckily. Well, it's a great story. You spent a lot of time. I have a couple of questions here because I'm... I'm writing kind of like the way you're going for my next book, but you spent a lot of time with Alex. What did you see in her? What were you trying to get out with her as a character as you spent those years building her up and those different attempts to writing a book and finally getting to the last one? I liked in Alex that I found a voice because I had written or tried to write a number of male character voices before her. And whenever I did that, for whatever reason, they always came off as, you know, um, somewhat gumshoey, Mickey Spillane gumshoe kind of characters, more graphic novel than novel. And when I began to write the Alex Martell character, um, it, it just found, that character found a voice, or I found a voice in that character, I suppose. So as I wrote the story and saw the story through her eyes, the story started to go somewhere, the character, character started to develop, and it was just fun to do. Um, you know, she's a... She's a pretty strong, independent, 
talented, determined individual, and I was easily taken by her as a character, and she became a lot of fun to write. Okay, let me hit you up because I am now writing my first female lead character. Tell me, tell me about how you researched, or did you feel in, uh, inadequate, or whatever the word is for a male writing the female character? I've done a lot of research on this. I just want to get somebody who just got a successful book published. Tell me, tell me about your journey with the female lead character. Yeah, and that's 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 uh, very valid. And I think there's a couple of things that helped me. One is. For the, you know, I was, a, I was a paramedic for more than 30 years, and I worked in emergency management after that career for 10 more. I was a tactical paramedic with, you know, as a police medic. So I worked with a lot of great, very high-achieving people in general, men and women. And really, in that sense, gender, sex, whatever you want to call it, didn't distinguish itself. Didn't, there was no line drawn between one talented person and another that I work with. I work with great cops. I work with great medics. Some were male, some were female. And when I was partnered up with, with female medics or female police officers for different roles, again, there was no real delineation between what was a man and what was a woman. So in terms of the skill set, in terms of the behaviors on the job that I learned, you know, that was easy enough to kind of master because I had, you know, 30 years, three, four decades of, of examples to go by. But when it came to the danger zones, you know, the avoiding the cliches and getting into the head of, of writing a female character, that was probably more challenging. And I would say I probably made mistakes in the beginning, but I've been married for 35 years to a pretty tough woman. And when I handed her pages, there were times, you know, I got the brush out in front of a mirror and my character would be brushing her long, you know, hair in a mirror. And my wife very quickly would put an end to those kind of stereotypes if I were sort of going astray. So... You know, if there's if there's two things that contributed, one was just having great models, role models, people I work with to build a character around. The second, as far as the writing itself went, you know, I had a fantastic first reader and editor in my wife, Lynn, who helped keep me on the path of uh, not making too many stereotypical type of errors. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing, obviously, and uh, my daughter... My oldest daughter, she's in her early 30s. She's about the age of my character, and she's an avid reader of books for female characters. I'm actually running it through her and thinking of her as I'm writing the books. That's like the role model. And I've been married for almost 40 years, too. And I did, and I have a, a motto up in front of me right here. I think it was Terry Pritchard who said, I don't write women, I write people. I thought that was yeah. a, great, a great line. Fantastic line, for yes, sure. Yes, that's right in front of me. You're not writing a female character, you're writing a person. So yeah. that has really helped me focus. You know, my wife was a paramedic back in the 80s um, when she was one of, you know, one in 100 paramedics, one in three, 400 paramedics were, were women back then. So she did face challenges. She was an attractive woman in very much a man's field at the time. She faced obstacles, barriers, issues. And we've discussed those over the years. So I have from, you know, I've gotten her perspective on what it was like for her as a woman in a quote-unquote man's profession. Now, we wouldn't say that these days. You'd never refer to being a paramedic or a cop, you know, or even military to a certain extent as a man's profession because our world has changed so much. But back in the 80s, 40 years ago, that was very much the case. So just as in Joe's case, having the opportunity to bounce things off his daughter. I'm sure she puts the cultural zitgeists into his 
stories as well helps him think about what the modern interpretation or vision of his ideas are and and it's very true you have to be careful of those potholes but i've been lucky to be coached in various ways you know to hopefully avoid some of those cultural mistakes as well i'd be reluctant to write a character a person of color a black person because i don't have while you know while i know people while i work with people while i have friends who are in those communities i don't have that lived experience and for me to assume as you said, what Denzel said, the cultural aspects of it, you know, there's a, there's a there's always a fear of some appropriation or cultural appropriation, but more than that, I'd be afraid of getting it wrong. And as much as you try, you can, without someone close to you who you can bounce those ideas off of, it could become a, a laughable thing. But at the same time, I think it's important to try to reflect the world we live in. So I do have people of color in my book. Um, in Perfect Shot, there are, you know, there's a number of them in the the book that I'm, I've wrapped up now, but I'm just editing now, called Out in the Cold, book two in the Alex Martell thriller series, again. But I do, as, as, uh, as Joe said, I have to do a lot of research around those characters to try to get, to try to at least approximate their reality. Not that I'll ever be able to nail it, because I'm not of that world, but just to try to approximate their reality. Well, I go, boy, this is a, this is a deep topic. It's everything I'm working on right now. Because the setting for my next book is a place that is racially divided as a city, and it's a true place. In none of my in, in none of my books, besides the obvious ethnicity, whether they be from China or Central or South America, do I bring up race. You know, I sort of let the reader decide. It's and I'm trying to decide: is it very, how important is it to you, or is it to me, or to the reader to, to identify race as a character? And it's maybe maybe it's a rhetorical question, but I'm trying to decide how far I want to go. Maybe I'm a coward. I don't want to do it, but but I know I'm going to. Is it is had you ever considered not even bringing up the racial elements? Let the reader decide, or is it that important to the character in the story? I, I think for a lot of characters, for most of my characters, I'm not sure I identify them specifically. I think you can guess because a lot of you know my books involve involve, um, there's a lot of European ethnicity, so you know there's a Turkish guy, he's going to be, he's going to be Turkish, you know, there's a Russian guy, he's going to be a Russian guy, you know, yeah, Slavic, whatever. Yeah. So it's easier, in a way, to not fall into the trap of identifying those characteristics, but when I write more about North American characters, then I generally do introduce a description that's more, you know, that captures more of the ethnicity or the, the color, whether the person's going to be Asian or a person of color brown or black or whatever, it does happen that way. But I've also thought about how a lot of my characters are, are interchangeable in the sense that if Hollywood came calling, which I obviously hope one day they will, for the most part, I wouldn't care how they cast my characters. Um, exactly. You know, I have probably guidelines that give them about who the character is. It's more important about what their traits are as a personality a human being than their physical attributes. So... So from that perspective, I might outline it in a book that they're this or that, you know, they have long hair or short hair or brown hair, black hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever. But it, it's only to help give, I don't go into so much detail that it takes away the reader's imagination. And at the same time, and for the same reasons, I, you know, I would leave it up to interpretation for Hollywood or anybody else to complete that picture for themselves. So how do you find your books? Do you think that you're writing or, let's say, do you write more about the 
into the dialogue? Are you dialogue heavy or more description heavy, do you think? I think I'm more character and description heavy. I like to, you know, I think if I had to improve somewhere, and I actually, that's a silly statement. I, I always want my writing to improve. And as I'm editing the second book, I'm certainly thinking, I just want to get better at writing in general. But if I had to kind of pigeonhole myself, I'd say I'm good at action and description um, and developing and showing character. Dialogue is probably, if there's a weak point in my writing, you know, if I look at the Amazon and Goodreads reviews, they tell me that, uh, maybe my dialogue can improve some more. So I certainly think that my characters speak a lot by their actions and their, their who they are as characters. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. But well, let's go with that. When you were bringing up the Alex Martello book, did you start with Alex as a character, or did you start with a story that you had an idea, and then you built the character around it? The way I start all my writing is when I face a blank page, I picture a moment in time. I picture a scene. And into that scene, so I populate who's in the scene. So in, in the case of Perfect Shot, it opens up with Alex wearing a sniper ghillie suit in a forest looking through her scope. And that's, I have no story at that point. Literally, I don't know where I'm going. I just picture her in a moment and then start to draw the moment outwards, if that makes any sense. So so it's totally driven by the scene and the story builds from there. I don't I never really know where I'm going as I'm writing the story. Until until maybe I'm into the middle of the book or the first third of the book's down, you know, finished. And then I sort of think, okay, well I better set myself some kind of goalposts and, and aim for that. But I still don't know how I'm gonna get there. Do you build this story around um, a meaning, a subtext, something that uh, you want a reader to get out of it besides the action? No, I honestly don't go there. I hope that when I'm writing it, some of whatever those messages or themes start to develop organically, but I rarely think about it. Although once, you know, as I get to know my characters better, the themes kind of, certain themes certainly take on a life of their own. So with Alex, it's about integrity and justice and, you know, vengeance, things like that. So those are themes built into the character or really that flow from the character. But I don't preconceive those kinds of directions before I start writing or even as I'm writing. So why a sniper? What 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 about that, that type of career or job got you into your character being that before? That's a great question, and it's actually, I, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, why a sniper? I wanted something, I wanted to distinguish Alex as a character, make her stand out from other characters out there in the thriller genre. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of military type characters, there are, are a lot of um, police type characters, male and female, there's a lot of great female investigators, but I don't recall any female snipers or characters with the kind of background that I've, you know, imbued Alex with, which is that she was a combat medic. So here's the other thing. I started, actually, the story started with an interesting little trivia here. Alex started as a Canadian former Army uh, type. And in the Canadian Army, in the backstory, in the period of the backstory that I began writing, you know, the Alex legend, as it were, her background, she could have been a sniper in the Canadian Army. But she couldn't have been one, you know, 10, 15 years ago in the U.S. Army. So I had to give her another kind of legend as well, which was she started as a combat medic. 
she had an event that led her uh, to pick up a sniper rifle and be coached in how to use that sniper rifle. Turns out she had an aptitude for it that was recognized by another intelligence agency who kind of adopted her into their fold and trained her up to the level of, you know, super sniper, as it were. So really it came down to I wanted to give her some special characteristics that I didn't see as being very common out in the world of thrillers. And that's how, and I like the idea of snipers, I guess, whether it's the, you know, the old female Russian snipers or the, you look at, to, I'm drawing a blank on the great snipers back in World War II, the Finnish sniper and all these other great characters. And I thought, that'd be pretty cool if I could make Alex, give Alex those particular skills and expertise. Do you have uh, sorry written on the bullet? <laughs> <laughs> what I did think of was uh, I wanted to have Alex says hello stamped on the case and, the, and on the bullets. <laughs> Yeah, calling card never hurts when you're, when you're a sniper. Right? No, not The legend. The legend, yeah, exactly. How did you do your research on your, on your setting? I'll just make a simple question. You're all over the place. You're all around the world in some of this. How did you research? Where did you go? These places you've been? And they ask you, how, how, how important is setting to your, you as a character? Oh, very important. Yeah, very, very important. I started, you know, when I was writing it, we were... <laughs> So when I, when I started writing Perfect Shot, it was round about January of 2020. I was on, and actually, Alan, you're going to know this right away, I was on Canadian Forces Base Trenton, CFB Trenton. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for several weeks running, running a, a quarantine or an isolation facility for Canadians returning abroad from, uh, you know, during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, and I began writing during the lockdown, perfect shot. It was a time we went out with my first book. The first book in the series went out the first week, the second week, first week of February, I believe, which was, it coincided with the week that New York was shutting down. So bottom line is the first book I put in the drawer, the second books, I, I was, I began to write the second book during the lockdown, which meant that all my research for setting and for most other things was virtual. So Google was my friend. But by the time I finished, we were back in, you know, the world was kind of opened up again. We were able to travel. So I was able to get to, with the exception of Turkey and Russia, every single location in perfect shot um, I had a chance to visit firsthand, whether it was a bar, a restaurant, city, um, whatever. It was, a, it was somewhere I got a chance to walk and, and in some cases sit and have a drink or a meal or whatever it was. So, so Google was the beginning and then... Real actual travel was was the uh, you know the the final stroke. Trenton Air Force Base. That's I wrote a book about the uh, Colonel Russell Williams who was in charge there. He was killing all those girls. Yeah, yes, you did. I'm, I'm familiar with the book and certainly familiar with that case. Uh, listen. So what drives what drives your main character here? Like, what is it? Do you think fear drives her? No. Um, in her case, she's driven by this super sense of justice. The things. You know, goodness has to prevail. She's not a goody two-shoes. She's got her, her damages. <laughs> um, and she's certainly not a goody two-shoes from the sense that, you know, she enjoys what she does. When she's a sniper, she enjoys taking a life for the right reason. But she has a tremendous sense of fairness and fair play and justice. And it drives her to catch the bad guys. It drives her to make sure the world is a safe place for others. So how did you, how do you um, experience the writing community to itself? 
Um, and I know your agent, and I know a lot of the people who reviewed your books. And we first met at BoucherCon as a, a, a conference. You know, what do you get out of these conferences? How do you experience the entire writing ecosystem? I, you know what, I, I thought uh, I, was sur- I was surprised, I think, as most people are. So my first experience in this sort of writer ecosystem, taking it from being a solo practitioner, as it were, to a member of a community or a tribe, Thriller Fest in 2018 was my first foray into that world. And I was surprised because I went down by myself and I, I thought very much that I would feel isolated and, you know, I, I, would, I knew I was going to get some good information out of it. I knew I would meet some people, but I was really quite surprised at the camaraderie of the community. And um, that was my biggest bigger, my, my bigger takeaway from the whole experience was how great everybody was and the whole notion of paying it forward which is something I, I really believe in, both in my past careers, but also certainly now. Writers who are years ahead of me in their journey have taken the time to talk to me or to lend a hand or to offer a blurb or to, to read my story or, or just, you know, chat and offer their wisdom. And it's been, it's, that part has been a tremendous experience and probably the biggest eye-opener for me that I really wasn't expecting. So what's the hardest thing about accomplishing a book? The discipline to finish it. I mean, it's it's like this. So first of all, I'm not a super organized person. My wife will happily tell you that. I go about life fairly randomly in terms of, you know, I don't follow a plan. I just kind of, I, I must have ADHD, never been diagnosed, but I just kind of throw myself out there and bounce from one thing to the next usually. But somehow when it comes to writing, I tend to focus a lot more. But the thing that you gentlemen both know that, when you're writing, it's hard to see the end. It, it's so far away. It's such a long journey. And keeping focused and remembering that every, you know, a journey of 100 miles begins with a first step or whatever that saying is, it's so true. You really have to accomplish the goal one step at a time. Or how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time, that kind of idea. It's such a big thing, such a hard thing, that if you thought about it, you'd probably never do it. So really the idea is to want to do it but to recognize that you just have to do it bit by bit, piece by piece, and get there eventually. You think the book turned out how you originally thought it was going to be when you started doing this, and how it is now and how it finished? Did it turn out kind of how, how you pictured it in your mind? Better in the sense that I didn't know where I was going. So until, um, I'm trying to think at what point, it was well into the first 100 pages before I figured where I might go with it. And then as you, you know, when you, if you read the book, you know that it's, it gets kind of technical in the sense that there has to be an understanding of, of what the threat is in the story. And so there's a lot of research in that. And to drive through that and keep going to the end, again, because I didn't have a roadmap, I didn't have an outline, and didn't really know where I was going, once I got to the end successfully and then, you know, took a, a run through first pass at it, second pass at it, whatever, I think ultimately I'm, I'm happier with the book. The, the book turned out better in my mind than I expected it to, so I'm very happy about that. Did you have the series in mind you wrote the first one? Did you have it plotted out, or, you just, or is it book by book by book? Yeah, really it's book by book by book. The only, I do have kind of a, I have a file that lists about five or six ideas for future books, but there are no particular order. I haven't established kind of a series arc or anything like that. It's just ideas I have, and um, depending on where I'm at when I finish one, will determine which one I pick up. Unless someone says to me, you know, if the publisher were to 
give me some specific direction there, or I guess let's call it advice or recommendations there, then that might help determine where I go next. But the only thing I really know is that, um, you know, the, the nature of the stories is going to stay the same. It's going to be an international thriller, espionage, or the version of espionage that's in perfect shot anyway, because, of course, it's not a, a pure espionage tale at all. It's more like a Mission Impossible meets, you know, Bob Lee Swagger in that kind of setting. So that's uh, that's about as much as I thought about. You know, there's lots of places I can go with the story, and, of course, world events, current events, they certainly help inform where I might go next, but that's kind of all the thought I give into it. Other than I know I, you know, I can see five or six at least in this series if I'm given the chance to do that. Well, five or six books is a long time, and I've written four and I've espionage books, and I just felt the need to get away from it for a while. Do you, I know this is, you're writing write the second book and it's in draft, but do you have a great American novel that you can see? I really want to write a science fiction book sometime, or a fantasy book, or To Kill a Mockingbird. Is, is that in you somewhere, or is it just going to stay, well, you think you're going to stay in the espionage action adventure area? I love this genre, but I can also see, you know, I, I mentioned towards the beginning of our conversation that when I tried to write male characters in the past, they were too kind of Mickey Spillane and, you know, bogey-style, Humphrey Bogart-style characters. But I can see myself, as my skill as a writer hopefully improves over the years, I can see myself finding a way out of that corner that I paint myself in when I start to write those kind of characters. And I'd like to take a shot at writing some kind of a, whether it's, you know, whether, I don't know whether it's going to be a private investigator or, or a reporter or a Columbo type guy, whatever it is, um, I have no idea. But certainly it's something, I mean, I've always been drawn to those kind of characters, the John Corey detective character or the, the Bosch type characters or the, as I said, the Mickey Spillanes and the Humphrey Bogart characters. So I can see myself heading in that direction and trying to find a character in the more noir feeling storyline. Harlequin romance? Yes, of course. <laughs> He could be on the Steve could be on the cover, shirt open, yeah. had, had a gleaming my glowing blonde wig locks. on. Yeah, yeah that's, a toupee. A Fabio, Fabio. wig. <laughs> well listen, are you living through your characters? Do you feel them? Do you do you sort of experience them as you're writing the scenes and you kind of the, the, the hard things they go through and the good things and the bad things and all that. Are you? Or do you actually live through it as as well? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. And and it's in it's in a lot of ways, um, which is both the fun and the curse of writing. So, in the good way, I was a wannabe tactical cop. I was never a police officer. I didn't. My my eyesight wasn't good enough until I had surgery in 2010, and by then it was more or less too late. So I became a, a paramedic instead. And then luckily, I I also had the opportunity to become a a tactical medic with the Ontario Provincial Police, a huge, very large police service. So I got to play the tactical game then and line up in a stack and go in with a SWAT team. So, so I got to do that, but not as an officer. Um, you know, I was there as a medic to protect the, the, the police officers from harm and to hopefully fix them up if some harm, you know, fell upon them. But in my stories, I totally get to be the badass character and... You know, I get to imagine what it's like to be Alex or Caleb doing the things they're doing. But the other side of it is I try to go a little dark sometimes. Not very dark, but, you know, I used to write a column for a paramedic magazine, a national paramedic magazine. that I wrote the column for three years. 
And I was given carte blanche at writing whatever topics I wanted. And my publisher always said to me that when I chose to, you know, um, expose my soul, as it were, in the writing, those were my best columns. And I took that lesson to heart when I was writing this character, that I scratch at the surface of Alex's frailties and her, um, for lack of a better word, PTS. And I reflect on my own experience with trauma over 30 years as a paramedic. And I put that in the writing. So I very much get in the writing in that sense, in the good sense. And then I let the bad, you know, I let the bad side of things flow out of me and inform Alex's character. But I try to have a positive spin on it. So in a way, it's therapeutic for me. Um, but it's certainly my background has informed my writing. And in a lot of ways, the writing and the characters, I think, in a way, kind of help fulfill me as well. So was that kind of what you get out of the book? Like, I'd imagine living through characters, feeling them and working out the details and, and going through the challenges and stuff. At the end of the day, when you get the book in there and it's published, it's done now, it's over. How, what effect, what changes have it made for you? Well, in the writing itself, is it's never mind the therapy side. It's just fun. To have a good day writing is, you, again, both you gentlemen know this. When you have a good day writing where you've accomplished something um, beyond what you expected for that day or that week or that month or that project, whatever, that's so satisfying to come away and read something you've written go and think, wow, that's, that's good. Like, where did that come from? So there's a lot of satisfaction. I derive a lot of satisfaction from the writing itself. But, you know, I'm new to this. This is just, this is my first book, my first published book. And it is, I'm still on that high. It was published November 14th. So I'm, I'm just so stoked that it's out there. I still get excited walking into a bookstore, seeing it on the shelves. Um, you know, when people hit me up on social media that I've never met before and tell me they enjoyed it. So, yeah, I get all those things. And, you know, whether there's satisfaction from the characters themselves, I don't know. But the writing and creating the characters and watching them develop and watching the story flow through them, you know, in a way that I become just a the vessel or the vehicle to transcribe what they're doing onto the page or screen. So there's a lot of satisfaction in, in those weird ways. So, so what are you working on now? You're doing book two now. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, book two is finished. I'm literally in the stage of polishing it up, uh, working on the edits to get back to my editor, which are going in, should be going in February 2nd, and then hopefully that will be an accepted, fully accepted manuscript, and it'll just be getting it polished up and ready for its publication, which is, out in the cold, is slated for publication November 12th of 2024. And it's, wow. it, and it's the same series, same series character and and cast of characters as well, or some of it. I don't want to give too much away, but same series. So, so who in your real life have you killed off in your books? <laughs> who in my real life have I killed off? Yeah, come on. There's guys, we know there's real in the lake somewhere. Yeah, there's someone, someone that. Have you ever taken a, a a real life character and made them kind of the bad person, or made them a person that suffers awful in your book? I have not, and uh, that's that's an honest answer. I have not. Have people I've known, bad people I've known, informed characters? Yeah, I would say maybe not bad people, but bad groups, um, bad industries. You know. <laughs> I don't know how to put that. You know, EMS is a, it's a great job, but it hasn't always been the be best profession from a, as an industry. EMS is the sort of poor stepchild to the 
the siblings, you know, the, pol the police and fire community. Um, it's changed now. It's very much, um, it's so much more professional than it was. But in the olden days, being a medic, a paramedic, an ambulance driver, attendant, whatever it was back in the 80s and 90s, it was a hard profession with some not-so-great leadership. And when I think of bad leadership and I write about bad leadership or bad actors from a, an organizational standpoint, sometimes I default to thinking about some of the bosses I've had in the olden days. And again, not so much in the last 10, 20 years or so, but, but in the old days, you sure met a lot of people. I sure met a lot of people that, as bosses, had them as bosses, that it's, they're easy to put into a bad guy's persona. So whether it's lack of caring or empathy or whether it's just how they treat people who work below them, yeah. So, so no one in particular, just a class of people, we'll, we'll, we'll say. Oh, come on. We want some names. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can get them on the other line. That's right. And, see, and help, see how this. And, and scoop yeah. the dirt on Steve, yeah. Yeah, come on. We get some real action here. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being on. So listen, social media. Uh, website. Um, do you like to interact with readers, and how do you do that? Yeah, I love it. I have so I'm present on all the sadly <laughs> on all the growing number of social media platforms out there. So, um, you know, the formerly known as Twitter, now X, on Instagram, uh, Threads, and my handle though on all three of those is at Steve Ursaini. Um On Facebook, I have an author page. My website is steversaney.com, so yeah, I'm everywhere. And I, I do love hearing from, there's a contact link on my website. Um, it, I, I find it, I get a kick out of it still when I get a unsolicited email or text, you know, through Facebook Messenger or something from somebody who wants to talk the book or tell me, especially if they tell me it was good. I mean, if they didn't tell me, if they didn't like it, maybe I don't want to hear from them. But if they have something nice to say, I always love hearing those, getting those messages. Yeah, well, we'll make sure you get some of the other ones, too. <laughs> Release the box. <laughs> so now the book, Perfect Shot. It's a thriller. Special Agent Alexandra Martel, book one. And uh, the author's with us, and, and he's uh, been entertaining. So, Steve, you're saying he, Thank you for being here. Well, Alan and Joe, thank you so much for having me aboard the show. I had a lot of fun. Thanks. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.